Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So today, my dear friend Kat Harris is back here on the show. Kat has a brand new book out called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And that's what today's episode is all about. Kat grew up in the South at the height of the purity movement. And while I don't want to give away too much of her story, as she got older, she started to reflect on some of the messages that were taught to her at a young age. Messages like modest is hottest and boys will be boys, this intense focus on saving yourself for marriage, and more. These messages seemed good and innocent at the time, but they left her with a lot of shame. And I know she's not the only one who's experienced this. As an adult, Kat found herself asking a lot of questions. Questions like, what does the Bible really say about sex? And are we really supposed to wait until we're married? What happens if we don't wait to have sex until we're married? Are we really damaged goods like people sometimes say? And what does God's word actually say about modesty? Kat went on a powerful journey of examining the things she was taught growing up and working to align her life with what she found actually written in God's word. And that's what she's sharing with us today. Friends, Kat is an absolute powerhouse. I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. Now, one quick disclaimer before we dive in. The questions we're diving into today are big, and we only had an hour to have this conversation. And so because we were only able to scratch the surface, if you finish this episode and find yourself wanting to learn more or find that you're needing more help digging into what you believe about these things and deciding how you want to move forward, I really encourage you to go follow along with Kat and to pick up a copy of her book. Okay, one last thing before we dive in. In this episode, Kat and I talk about the ways we grew up. She grew up in the church, and as you'll hear in this episode, I didn't. It wasn't actually until I was in college that I got to know Jesus and heard any of the things that God has to say about sex in our bodies. I tell the full, messy, beautiful story of how God got my attention in my book, The Lipstick Gospel. I actually became a Christian in the Sistine Chapel in Rome, of all places. And I would love to share it with you. You can pick up a digital copy of my book for free by going to stephaniemaywilson.com slash lipstick gospel download. And that link will be in our show notes as well. I can't wait to share this with you. Okay. So with that said, let's jump into the episode. Here's my conversation with Kat. Friends, I'm so excited for this conversation today. I'm sitting across from my dear friend, Kat Harris. And uh, Kat, we've had you on the show before, but I just knew we had to have you back. Honestly, I think we could have you back like every week and (laughs) learn so much and be so encouraged. So welcome back to Girls Night. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad to be back. I had so many, so many of your your community reach out after our last conversation on my DMs and just met some incredible ladies. So I love the community that you have and that you are continuing to build and establish. And I'm just excited to have some real talk oh. about all the things. <laughs> I feel like we're ready for it. We just hit record, but we've been talking for, I don't know, half an hour now about just mm-hmm. life and faith and God and church and what the world looks like right now. And mm-hmm. we're, I, we're, I feel like just ready for, <laughs> ready for yeah, this. Absolutely. Um, so for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, um, tell us who you are, what you do, and I'd love to hear a fun fact about you. Oh my goodness. I can lead with the fun fact. Yeah, um, so I never know how to totally answer this question. So I'll just give a few. I am one of six kids. Okay. I didn't I, know that. Yeah. Five girls, one boy. I have bungee jumped over the Nile River. Nice. That's awesome. And skinny dipped in Guatemala. So I'm all about doing the crazy things when I travel. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So who am I? Okay. So those are some random facts. I, my name is Kat Harris. Like you said, I am a relationship coach. I was a Bible major in college and then got into the nonprofit world, photography world. I still do editorial photography every month, but I also have, and this is why I'm on here, my relationship coaching business. I have a podcast called The Refined Collective and my platform is called The Refined Woman. And really through all of those different legs of The Refined Woman from the podcast 
to my now book coming out called Success in the City. All of it is a space to really empower and equip women to walk in their worth and to dig into who am I, why am I, and and how do I want to move forward in my life shame-free. So yeah, I do that through online courses, online workshops from everything like is pleasure sinful to is my body bad to what does the Bible really say about sex to is Jesus a feminist. So anything that's really a elephant in the room sort of topic, hmm. whether theologically or in the conversation around sexuality, I want to approach it and I want to approach it with humility and grace and then equip others to do so as well. I love that. I love that, Kat. I'm just so grateful for you. Um, if anyone hasn't heard the last episode that you did here on Girls Night, we talk a lot about sex and we're going to talk about it here too, but um, we're going to make sure to link to that episode in the show notes because I want to make sure you guys are able to hear that. We talked about so much in that episode and it was so good. I can't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> I mean, I think I asked you like every hard question about sex ever and you just okay. answered it like a champ. So, okay, tell us about your book um, before mm-hmm. we dive in and and the backstory to it really. So it's yeah. sex, Sexless in the City. Sexless in the City is sometimes okay. sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And the book was spurred on from a few things. The big thing is before it was a book, it was my life. <laughs> it was me. It's a story of me growing up in Southern conservative evangelical culture in the height of the purity movement, learning a really strict set of beliefs and sexual scripts about sex, dating, intimacy, gender roles, who I am as a woman, body, like body theology and all that stuff. And really never questioning it until I moved to New York uh, almost a decade ago now. And when I moved to New York, it was really the first time in my life where I wasn't surrounded by all Christians and it wasn't culturally Christian either. So Texas is very very Christian culture. Even if you're not a Christian, you kind of understand the lingo because mm-hmm. of the air we all breathe. <laughs> and then from Texas, I moved to Southern California, which is another Bible Belt. And being in New York, I was really confronted with who am I outside of who others are expecting me to be? And I dated more in one year than I did in a whole decade. Mm-hmm. And online dated, got ghosted, breadcrumbs stood up. I mean, I have some crazy stories. I have some awesome stories too. But in that process, fell in love and realized, okay, it's a lot harder not to have sex when you're actually dating and when you're in love with someone and you really care about someone and you have really good chemistry. And so all these years, I had been really proud of my virginity and proud of not having sex outside of marriage. And Really, I didn't have that much of a resolve because the first time I was giving given a real opportunity to abstain, I technically abstained, <laughs> but it just grew harder and harder. And on the heels of a breakup, I was at a fork in the road stuff. I just got to a point where I said, I don't know what I believe about God and sex outside of, I think the Bible says not to have sex outside of marriage, but even though I was a Bible major in college, I could not tell you one verse that actually said it. And so I realized, gosh, everything that I really have is sound bites or sermons that have been told to me externally that I have internalized without really doing my own work. So Sexless in the City is that starts with this fork in the road moment for me and then going on a journey of asking all those questions that I always wanted to ask, but didn't really know I had the permission to ask. Like, what does the Bible really say about sex? Is abstinence still a thing or is it an antiquated Christian norm that's no longer relevant? Is my body bad? Is my sexual desire sinful? Is pleasure sinful? Is masturbation a sin? Is it really the woman's job to submit to her husband like Ephesians 5 says? So it's me unpacking all of those questions and it's the questions that I asked. So I didn't want to make it into a book. I was like, this is just my life. And then the more I went down that path, the more the more I researched and the more I, I mean, I have read dozens of books from Christians, non-Christians, anthropologists, scientists, philosophers, Jewish feminists, anything and everything I could get my hands on. I 
ate it up and also became the person at a bar, on the subway, at a party, at church, on the street that would be like, so what do you think about sex? And what do you think about your body? And where'd you get those beliefs from? And so the more I did that, the more I realized the majority of Christian content out there about sex and sexuality and all of that stuff was written by men and primarily men that got married really young. And I just felt like at the time I was approaching 30, now I'm 35. I just felt like, you know what? To have someone that got married at 20 or 21 tell me as a 35-year-old what I can and can't do physically in a relationship or that online dating is simple or that I shouldn't like share a cab ride home with a guy because you can't be alone with a guy. I just felt like you have no idea. You have no idea what it's actually like to date in a modern culture. And I wanted to hear from someone that was actually going through it. And then the more time that went by, I real I saw an experience like so many of us have many of these same pastors that are preaching abstinence and sexual purity from the pulpit are neck deep in sexual scandal in their own lives. I mean, every other week, it seems like an, an, another pastor is falling to affairs, pornography addiction, um, or, you know, a lifetime of sexual sin and abuse like Ravi Zacharias. And I just felt like, no, I don't want to hear from, I don't want to hear from you guys anymore. I want to hear from someone who's actually walking it. And so I, I, I decided, you know, I'm going to be the voice that I didn't have when I went through this and I'm going to write the book that I needed. And so even if I'm the only one who <laughs> reads the book, I'm like, I feel like it's been healing for me to process this stuff and and hopefully any woman who is single or in a relationship and feels shame around any part of her story sexually, I hope that she can find freedom and community in my story and also tools to really navigate this stuff because it's hard. Oh my gosh, Kat. Okay, so everyone's wondering at this moment where they can get your book. So just let's just go ahead and do that really quick so that everyone knows, like, the second we're done here, this is where you go to get it because, like, everyone needs a copy. Oh, thank you so much. So you can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com and order it from a ton of different places there. Or you can just go straight to Amazon, Kindle, Audible, Barnes & Noble, really wherever books are sold, it's there. What's the most helpful thing for us to do as readers? Like when should we order it and where should we order it from? Oh my goodness. I mean, just order it now. That would be such a blessing to me. Um, I don't know when this episode is going live, but if it's before April 20th, I had no idea until I wrote a book that pre-orders are a really big deal to inform the distributors, how many books they should print. And so if, if it's before April 20th, please pre-order. It would really help. Um, it would help our distri- distributors. And then if it's after that, just wherever you can buy it, go on mm-hmm. Amazon right now. It's one click. Um, or sexisinthecitybook.com has a ton of, it has all the links for everywhere that it, that it ships. So Awesome. Awesome. Okay. I had to ask because I know everyone was just thinking, okay, I need to buy this like absolutely right now. But the couple of things I wanted to to ask about mm-hmm. were specifically about like body and modesty yeah. and about the messages about sex, like the focus on like not having sex that I think mm-hmm. most people growing up in the church, like received those messages. I want to talk about kind of what you found when you unpacked those things. Yeah. Um, But before we dive into those, I should kind of give it a little disclaimer here. Um, So if you guys have been around for a while or if you've read my book, The Lipstick Gospel, you guys know I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up like adjacent to the church. We went sometimes when I was growing up and I did have like a brief stint of going to a youth group. I mostly went because there was a really cute guy in it. I mean, that was kind of like the, the, my my full motivation mm-hmm. for being like, mom, no, we should go this week. But I, I mean, really, I had like a brief moment in the church, and I don't really remember talking about sex very much. I don't I don't really remember talking about hardly anything. And so when I became a Christian in college, I mean, I was hearing the gospel for the very first time um, mm-hmm. when I became a Christian. I, I just don't remember hearing or retaining or really like processing anything that I learned. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of coming at this as an outsider when I like 
when I became a Christian, I remember asking my girlfriends, like, so I, Christians aren't supposed to have sex, right? Like, I, I just had heard, like, through the grapevine that that's something that Christians were told not to do. I'm like, why? And this was, I mean, really shortly after I had become a Christian, and uh, my girlfriends were awesome, and they ended up sharing a podcast series with me, or a sermon series with me, and were like, this is going to explain it better than we could. And um, it was a like six part series and it went through Song of Solomon Song of Solomon um in, in the Bible and it really just talked about what God's plan for sex was. And as someone who like I had been having sex and I had just the I mean the message I'd been given my whole life was like this is important and this isn't something you just like throw around. Um be careful. <laughs> Uh, and be careful with your body, be careful with your heart. But like, it had never been taught to me that I should wait, that like, I should wait till a certain time in life or that I would be, like my worth would change if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Like no one had ever told mm-hmm. me that. Yeah. Um, and so I had just, I came at this as someone who just been living like everybody else was. Mm-hmm. And I, it really was a major pivotal moment though, though for me, because as I'm hearing about like what God has in store for us, not not in a shame way, but in like a bet, like this is better than what you've been doing. Like I have something better mm-hmm. for you kind of way. Mm-hmm. It really made a lot of sense to me. I was like, mm-hmm. this does sound actually a lot better than what I've been doing. Um, and so I decided then and there, I was 21, um, that I wasn't going to have sex again until I was married. And I didn't. Um, and I didn't get married like six weeks later. I got married like, mm-hmm. I don't know, six years later, mm-hmm. um, seven years, something like that. And so I, so I just say all that because I'm coming at this as a little bit of an outsider. I, I know some of the things that were taught to people who like, I know some of the things that were taught in youth group growing up for a lot of my friends, for my husband, for most of the people I love have been giving, have been given the messages we're going to be talking about. And, and so that's like, that's why it's so important to me that we talk about this Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've gotten to kind of sit on the sidelines and be like, wait a minute, like this doesn't make sense or uh, mm-hmm. I get that. Or wait, what? And so anyway, that's that's just kind of my perspective as we go into yeah. this conversation. Let's first talk about, I guess let's first talk about um, our bodies. Like what messages were you given about your body and modesty? And I know there's the phrase modest is hottest. And I mean, mm-hmm. like at school dances, like leave room for Jesus and stuff. I mean, I've heard mm-hmm. I've heard all mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. Um, but what, like, what are some of the messages that you were given, Kat? And wh- I mean, next I want to hear, like, what messages do you wish you'd been given? Yeah. Do you, like, the messages that you were given in, in as you were growing up, do you feel like those actually reflect the truth of what God says about us? Yeah. Oh, those are a lot of really good questions. And <clears throat> I'll try to unpack as I can. And if I get off-roading, you just bring me back. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, modest is hottest is one of, it was like one of my phrases that I said all the time. I was in ministry <clears throat> in college and I was always leading high school girls. I was a camp counselor at a really big Christian sports camp in college. And it was modest is hottest, modest is hottest. And I think a lot of the messages we received were implicit. So n- some of them were explicit, i.e., you don't want to have sex outside of marriage because if you do, you'll be like a chewed up piece of gum and no one wants a chewed up piece of gum. And so, wow, okay, the, there's a very explicit message there that sex is for marriage. And if you have sex outside of marriage, you're basically damaged goods and no one's going to want you. Wait, is that like a, is that an actual thing? Yeah. So even last year, I heard a sermon series by a very well known pastor and he, said that if you have sex outside of marriage, God will never be able to use you. And he said, if you have sex outside of marriage, you're like a house that's been burned down. And even if you renovate, when you walk through the house, you'll always smell charred burn. So it will never fully recover if you have sex outside of marriage. This male pastor, by the way, did not save himself for marriage and has a public porn addiction. But the I was shocked when I heard that message in 2020. That was the message in 2020. So yes, 
These are messages that so many of us grew up with in church culture and in youth group, and they're still being preached today. These object metaphors that take the robust human experience and flatten them to one-dimensional object experiences. I'm not a piece of gum. I am not a house that is burned down. I am a human that God made in God's image. And so I think the biggest problem with that, a lot of those metaphors, and this isn't the explicit message, although this male pastor last year gave a pretty explicit message. But what I hear underneath that, Stephanie, is things like, my virginity is enmeshed with my salvation. That really, salvation isn't Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus virginity or plus abstinence. And and for me, my virginity became very enmeshed with my relationship with Jesus. And I was the girl in college that stopped being friends with another Christian girl because she started sleeping with her boyfriend. I thought, she, there's no way she can be a legit Christian if she's having sex outside of marriage. And so, but that was the culture that I grew up in. It was like, yeah, Jesus... Jesus is the main thing, but really the main thing seemed like, what are you doing between your legs or not doing between your legs? So as far as body messages that I received, now again, not everyone has received these. And so I don't want to put my experience as the entire Christian experience. This was my experience growing up in the South and evangelical culture. And um, so I... The Modest is Hottest was a huge, a huge narrative that I received. And in that, and a huge example of that, I remember for the first time I felt really uncomfortable with was when I was a camp counselor. And it was about a thousand degrees all summer long at this camp and no air conditioning anywhere on the property. Mm. (laughs) And us girls had the Modest is Hottest code. So we had to wear long baggy shorts and oversized big cotton t-shirts with sleeves. And the guys could wear whatever they wanted. And at this, the the particular summers I worked there, it was guys, like it was ironic for guys to wear those itty bitty basketball shorts from the Mm seventies. And so it's like, okay, so your junk is flying around everywhere and they didn't have to wear shirts all day long. So they, we both come in for lunch and the women, I mean, never have I felt less attractive in my whole life. And then guys are walking in the door wearing whatever they want. And I'm like, well, that guy is hot and he has a six pack abs and short, barely their shorts. And I'm supposed to feel nothing. How? And so what are the messages there? There's a few messages there about my body and the differentiate and the differentiate. Well, that's a hard word. Differentiation between male and female sexuality. One of them is that the female body is inherently provocative or sexualized. That that's one of them. The other message is that my body's bad. My body causes men to sin. And so, what's underneath that? Well, boys will be boys, hmm. and boys don't have responsibility over their urges. They just have urges in a way that women don't. And because of that, they can't be held accountable or responsible for how they show up in the world. So then their sexual purity, or I don't even like that term, their sexual integrity gets placed on the shoulders of women. And what does that do? Well, it's a very low view of men. It says, well, men are boys will be boys. Men are really just animals. They can't control their urges. So we've dehumanized men and in that given a hall pass for abuse, for a lack of integrity. And then we've also put something on the shoulders of women that was never theirs to carry. The only person that can be responsible for their sexual integrity is themselves. It's not my job to have the... the weight of an entire gender sexual integrity on my shoulders. And I think what's so interesting to me about messages like that is we think the church is so countercultural from culture. Yet we live in a space where it where actually no. I just watched Bridgerton and I keep talking about it because watching Bridgerton, I'm like, this is what it feels like to be in the church. Women aren't 
expected or allowed to be sexual in the way that men are. Women are required to be pure in a way that men aren't. And women are aspired to marriage in a way that men aren't. We don't question men in their 20s and 30s for being single. We think, oh, they're they're sowing their seed or they're building their career so that they can be a stable provider. But I grew up in the South and I'm back in the South for the first time in 15 years and I'm 35 and single. Whoa, what's wrong with me? Why am I, why, why am I still single? Those questions like that, I get that my male counterpart and peers and friends don't get. And so back to the conversation around, around the body, what I think we've been given is a set of rules that are rooted in shame and fear and a lack of responsibility. And in my experience of the scriptures and who God is completely out of alignment with scripture and the heart of God. And I think whenever we want to look at a belief or narrative that we've been given, whether it's modest is hottest, instead of just taking a sound bite or something that sounds like, oh, that'd be easy to aim in from the rooftops, pause and consider what's the belief underneath this statement? Mm-hmm. What are What's the explicit belief and what are the implicit beliefs? Maybe the more subtle implications of adhering to something like modest is hottest. Now, I'm also not saying wear whatever you want, whenever you want, because it's your body, your choice, whatever. Um, although I do believe in healthy and informed consent. Um, but I am saying that we need to be curious about the narratives that we've been given and then also ask the question, who's benefiting from this narrative and who's suffering from this narrative? Primarily, who's benefiting from, benefiting from these narratives around hypersexualizing the female body in the church are men in power. So there's abuse of power. And then who's suffering from that? The vulnerable. Like women in this case are, are the vulnerable and oppressed within many religious circles and religious institutions. And to me, that seems out of heart out of alignment with the message of Jesus. Jesus seemed to always move towards the vulnerable and fight for the oppressed and also fight for the equality between genders. Hmm. Oh my gosh, there's so much in there. You guys, we are going to, I just like, side note here, we're going to do our very best to to like talk through this and have it make sense. But I feel like there's so much here that like, I, I feel like I just need to sit and process for a second. Like we could talk about this for a million years. So everyone just like give us grace for the fact that that we're going to unpack this as as well as we possibly can in the amount of time that we have. Mm -hmm. So as you've been studying this and as you've been like as you kind of broke down everything that you were told or everything you learned and have been building things up again, what have you learned? Like what to you feels like, you know, as you've done your research what do you feel like actually lines up with the heart of God when it comes to our bodies? So, I mean, I think the first thing, one of the most healing things for me was going through the scriptures and just being reminded of the God story. That God, the exhale of God is creation. The spirit of God hovered over nothingness and void and chaos. And instead of, instead of, being hopeless, God saw nothingness and void and chaos ripe for grounds of creation and redemption and restoration and new life. And I love how the God story starts off. God exhales the universe into being and calls it good. And there's this rhythm and cadence of the creation story. And then there's one more thing to create, the pun intended climax of creation. (laughs) And it was humans. And God does something very distinct with humans than God did with anything else in creation. God said, let us, let God make humans in our image and our likeness. So everything else in creation is good, but humans, the Hebrew there is almost like how we would, ex- like a mirror reflector or like a rear view mirror. The human humans are mirror reflectors of God. And that that means that there's there is worth and value and dignity and creativity and the divine god image pulsing through my veins just because i breathe so i exist i matter to god period the end it doesn't matter if i'm a christian or not sometimes people are like oh well, how can someone do anything good if they're not a christian well that wasn't the caveat 
God said humans are made in God's image and God's likeness. And so every human, every human has dignity and worth and enoughness from the inside out because God said so. Hmm. And then God takes it a step further. God says, my creation, my humans that look like me are very good. And I think we like to start the God story when everything goes to crap. (laughs) Yeah, there's brokenness in the world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. But God doesn't make bad things. And so is it possible that I can need Jesus and that inherently there's also goodness about me because God created me? That's Genesis 1. Well, we see in the New Testament that the invitation for the human body is holy. That um, Scripture says that our bodies are a house for the holy. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't reside in bad or dirty or disgusting things. And so to see from Old to New Testament that the God narrative for my body is a holistic narrative. We see Old Testament, the Shema, and New Testament, the Jesus invitation is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So often I think in Christianity, we say the spirit's good, but the body's bad, mm. or the spirit's better than the body, or the body's broken, but like our spirit can be redeemed with Jesus. That's actually not Christian theology. That's Gnostic dualism. That's not Christianity. When I found that out, Stephanie, I was like, what? I feel like I've been taught since day one that it's my spirit that 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 matters and my body that is just terrible and broken and I'm a piece of crap. But no, that's Gnosticism. That's not Christian theology. Christian theology is that God created humans in His image and likeness and called us good. And that Jesus came to make all things new. And that means all things. And that our bodies are a house for the holy. So what did I learn going to Scripture? I learned that, yeah, I still need God and Jesus and that my body is not inherently bad. And I learned from those same Genesis 1, 26 through 31 scriptures that God created both human, both male and female in his image and likeness. And God wasn't like, well, but the female body is provocative and scandalous and gross and bad. And so, oh, watch out, guys. No, God created us with equal worth, dignity, and value. And that means equal worth, dignity, and value. And we also see in scripture, like Romans 12, 1, where Paul says to the church, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Even Paul understood that we have we have this holistic experience of faith and that no one can demand anything of our bodies. So God honors our agency and autonomy and responsibility with how we choose to show up in our lives. So to me, that showed that, oh, I can, let's have a conversation of what honor would look like between men and women and humans of how can we honor each other, but it's his responsibility to offer his body as a living sacrifice to God. It's not my responsibility to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God. And then the entire male population's responsibility is also on my shoulder. And so another thing, I'll just kind of wrap it up, is what I noticed in the God story over and over and over again that was so healing for me, Stephanie, is that God is so for women. (sighs) In a time and a space growing up, in Christian culture where it seems like women were less sexual than men, women were responsible for men lusting, so we're just terrible for just breathing, our bodies are bad, our desire is gross. I see a God of the Old Testament that used Queen Esther and her voice and influence to stop a genocide. Mm-hmm. I see Proverbs 31, which is this scandalous account in Hebrew culture of a business savvy entrepreneurial woman who used her voice and influence for good, not just in the home, but in her community at large. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus just bursting through the the cultural norms and religious norms of male-female dynamics. Jesus was a first century Palestinian rabbi. It would have been scandalous for him to ever be with a woman alone that was not his spouse. 
Yet Jesus met with women alone at the well. Jesus offered the adulterous dignity when her what was due to her was death. Jesus let a woman sit at his feet for teaching the Mary and Martha story. That's what would what that would have signified culturally is that she was a student of a rabbi. And so he was giving her the green light to become a rabbi herself, a teacher, mm-hmm. a leader in the religious community. We see women funding the ministry of Jesus. We see female deaconesses like Phoebe and Lydia in the New Testament being an early church leader and funder of the Jesus ministry. And so all of this, taking it all into consideration, I just felt like, I just feel like the Jesus message has been hijacked by rules and shame and a lack of responsibility and fear and control. But when I look at the scripture, I see good news, good news for humans, for men and women, that men, you're not the sum of your urges. Boys won't just be boys. You're not an animal. God made you distinct from animals. So animals are a sum of their urges, right? Like they want to go pee, they're going to pee. They want to hump a pillow, they're going to hump the pillow. No, (laughs) men are humans. So we've actually had a very low view of men. And in that low view of men, we've dehumanized and also oppressed women. And so my challenge to the church and to us is to be a people that are connected to the way of Jesus the redemptive way, the way that holds both genders in high regard. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done, and that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. 
This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Kat, I, I want to ask you actually, what has happened, and you, can, you don't have to share this if you don't want to, we can totally take this out, but as you've been sharing this message, even over the last couple of weeks, yeah. what's happened to you? <laughs> um, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of women feel really known and seen. And I think even, I think validated in their experience. And I think even sometimes offended, like I'm saying this thing out loud. Could it possibly be true? I doubted myself for a really long time for even asking these questions because I thought, no, but I've always been taught girls be quiet. Girls be in the background. Girls don't use your voice because you can't speak in mixed company and don't, don't ruffle the boat. Don't ruffle the feathers. Don't ask as masturbation is sin. Don't ask what Ephesians 5 really means. And so I think in that what's happened is it feels scary. If I feel scared <laughs> and I feel insecure, am I getting it right? Am I missing the mark? But I think for so long, Stephanie, I held back on sharing so much of this stuff because I was so afraid of rejection. And in that, I realized I was betraying myself and the message that God had put on my heart. And the more I've shared it, I think the more women have felt free and hopefully known and seen and like, oh my gosh, what a healing message to know that it's not my job to make sure men don't sin. What a, what an exciting thing to know that God actually has a really beautiful, compelling, robust vision for sex and intimacy outside a message that says, if you don't have sex, you're a burned house. That's always going to smell bad. And I've also received a ton of pushback. I mean, I I think sometimes viewed as this like raging feminist. Like I I was told recently on a podcast that I don't like men, that I just crap all over men all day. And I'm like, man, if that's the message you're hearing, maybe I'm not communicating myself well because I have a really high view of men. I think men are way more capable than we're giving them credit for. I think that they're I think we have a lot to account for in the church right now. And I think we've built a house of cards and we're seeing it crumble down in a lot of ways. And we wonder why does this, why do pastors keep getting exposed for sexual scandal? Why is there, why is there so much toxicity? Well, we've created a framework that rewards narcissistic behavior. And we've created a framework that also has kept, for the most part, a lot of women silent. And so anytime you go up against that, you're going to receive pushback. I mean, I lost 3,000 followers on social media in one day. I was berated publicly for two hours at a recent conference. And so, yeah, that part's been really hard. But I also feel like as hard as it is, Stephanie, that I feel like this is the hill I want to die on. 
Mm. You know, like I feel like the Jesus way, like Jesus went towards the person that felt ostracized from the church. Jesus went towards the person who felt oppressed. Jesus, Jesus was unafraid to ruffle feathers in culture and the church. I mean, we see him doing it all the time. He was flipping tables in the church because he was angry because they were abusing their power. And so it's, I feel like it's a path now that like, I can't not be on. Mm-hmm. And it can also feel super lonely and scary and hard. And I also feel like every day I get a message from a woman who's like, oh my gosh, thank you. Hmm. And so I, I want to keep moving forward in that. I'm really glad that you are. Thank you. If you could go back into a youth group where where like modest is hottest was preached a lot, you know, where where modesty was like a main pillar of what your faith should of, of like where it was taught that modesty was a main pillar of your faith. Yeah. Like, do you feel like that should have been talked about at all? Like I'm picturing yoga pants. Were, were yoga yeah. pants something that people weren't allowed to wear or weren't supposed to wear? So yoga pants were definitely post when I was in high school and college. It was more like those Nike, remember those Nike shorts? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, everyone was wearing those or the Sophie shorts. Those are what oh, we were wearing uh-huh. in high school. Yeah. But I actually just was on a podcast last week and the guy was like, yeah, I recently was working at this church and a huge part of the conversation was girls, girls can't be wearing yoga pants here. And out loud in this meeting, he was like, what if we just taught guys to have more integrity <laughs> with <laughs> where they looked? He, he, and he no longer works at this church, but he was like, why are we making this a, wo- a woman's issue? So, gosh, what do I wish would have been done? I wish that instead of giving people a set of rules in hopes to produce conformity, we would have been equipped to seek God, to search the scriptures, and to have honest and nuanced conversations with each other. So if we're talking about a conversation around what clothes we we wear or don't wear— what I would have loved is to have a conversation with my guy friends and be like, Hey, you're a sexual being. I'm a sexual being. You know, I want to, I want to walk out in respect and honor in my life. And I know you do as well. Are there ways that we can support each other? I don't think all modesty is all bad all the time, but to use modesty as a tool to weaponize the female body is oppressive. For me, in a converse, in a healthy conversation of modesty, I want I'm I'm curious about context, presence, and heart. So, is it context? Is it appropriate for me to wear a bikini at the beach? Sure, I'm at the beach. Is it appropriate for me to wear a bikini when I'm preaching on Sunday? Probably not. Doesn't make sense in the context of it. Is it is it make is it make sense for me to wear my biking shorts and sports bra to a hot yoga class? Yeah, totally that makes sense. Would I wear that same outfit to a job interview? No. Would I wear a cute skirt and a fun blouse to go dancing and a night out with my girlfriends? Totally. Would I wear that same outfit to a Bible study? No. Mm-hmm. Is it because any of those things are right or wrong? No, we're talking about context. I think context is so important in this conversation. And then presence, number two, is what I'm wearing keeping, distracting me from being present in the moment. So I remember speaking when we used to have events in person (laughs) and I was wearing this bra and I I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes you don't know it's a bad bra until you're public speaking and you're like, oh, I had no idea this fell off my shoulder all day long. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The most annoying thing ever. And I remember speaking at this conference and my bra strap kept falling off and I was wearing a tank top. So I was constantly pulling it back up. And I realized it's not sinful that I wear a tank top. It's hot outside and I'm speaking at an outdoor venue and it's in the summer. It's not sinful that my bra strap is coming down, but it's distracting me from the moment at hand. And typically when I feel distracted by something, someone else feels distracted by it as well. Mm. So is what I'm wearing distracting me from being present? Am I, am I, is my mind being consumed by, oh, I hope I don't have a wardrobe malfunction 
Yeah. Like, what if I didn't have to think about if I was going to have a wardrobe malfunction and I could be present to the conversation at hand? And then finally, heart. What's the heart behind what I am wearing or not wearing? God is always concerned about our heart. And I think this is one of the most important pieces about a conversation if we're just talking about clothing and body. But I think it translates is I feel like legalism says do the thing and don't ask the question. Just don't have sex. Don't have sex outside of marriage. That's what the Bible says. Just don't wear the bikini. Just don't do it. Don't touch his butt. Don't have sleepovers. And it it just doesn't offer any heart. But I feel like God, God cares not just about behavior modification, but about what's going on in my heart. So am I posting the picture on Instagram of me in the bikini because it's something I feel totally at peace about? And it feels like something that would be honoring to myself, God, and others. Or am I, if I'm being really honest, am I posting it because I want my ex to see how hot I'm looking and how much he's missing out? So what's the heart behind everything you are or are not doing? And I think a deeper question underneath that that we could ask and that I wish was asked is who am I becoming? Everything that I'm doing or not doing or believing or not believing or saying or not saying is setting me on a trajectory either towards wholeness Hmm. or lack or basically Jesus or not Jesus. So who am I becoming? Yes, even the physical manifests the spiritual. So how are how are what I am or am not wearing manifesting what's going on in my heart? And in that, it might mean, Stephanie, you feel comfortable wearing something that maybe I don't feel comfortable with. Or perhaps there's a time when I feel comfortable wearing this and then I don't feel comfortable wearing that. I don't think that it means... I think when we make modesty in our body all bad and about following a set of rules for all people at all time, it falls incredibly short of the God invitation. Also, by the way, I mean, yoga pants, even a one-piece bathing suit, short shorts at all would have been like ridiculously scandalous <laughs> in first century AD when Jesus was living. And so we have to say like, there's context to all of this stuff and what might be modest in Morocco might be a different standard in New York City, which might be a different standard than Alabama. And do we have space for people to be on a journey in that? I feel like the biggest thing that's coming to my mind is I'm thinking about, I'm picturing the the youth group room that we met in for, you know, like the five times I went. I'm picturing like leading a conversation. If I could sit with a group of women in that room, a group mm-hmm. of girls in that room, Or even if I, like, I'm thinking about my daughters. I have daughters now. It's crazy. I'm thinking about them. Like, what would I want them to be taught? And, you know, if I had a limited amount of time to teach them or a group of women in a youth group, which, like, we always have a limited amount of time to teach something, I wouldn't be talking about yoga pants. Yeah. Like, that just seems like the freaking last thing on the list of, of what's important. It just... Like, I don't want to talk about it at all. Like pro, con, whatever, who cares? It seems like that is such a waste of time. Like whether or not I can see however much of your butt in your yoga pants, whatever. Like, let's talk about what's actually important. Like, who are you and who is God and what has he created you to do in this world? Mm -hmm. And it just feels like talking about those other things is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But I like what you said about context and and, um, presence and heart because like, I, I'm also picturing there, I was speaking at, I, I did a lot of speaking at uh, Greek events for a long time, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. I got to talk to so many groups of sorority women. And there was one time where it it was okay, but I was a little nervous um, when I realized I was wearing a, a dress that was like, a, I mean, it, was, it wasn't like short short, but it was like above my knees. So it was like a short dress. And I didn't know I was going to be on a stage. I thought I was going to be more like eye to eye with people. And so I remember getting to the venue and realizing I was going to be on a stage. And I'm like, okay. And I put one of the girls who I'd made friends with in the front row. And I was like, tell me, can you see up my dress? <laughs> and she's like, no, I cannot. I'm like, okay, great. I'm good. Because that is super distracting. Like I just, yeah. that's super distracting. And so I, I love that you kind of, those things aside, like make sure that you're not like, I don't know, take it like, our clothes and our, our um the way we present ourselves to the world can reflect like can get in the way and can mm-hmm. reflect something going on in our hearts. And so in those senses, it's important to talk about. But those things aside, like 
let's get that out of the way as fast as possible so that we can talk about the things that really matter. Because it just seems like we're really getting in the way if we spend too much time on it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's it's making, it's taking the main thing away from being the main thing. And, but I think also what we're doing in that is we've become the Pharisee. Hmm. We don't care about hearts. We care about looking the part. Like literally we're talking about clothes, looking the part. And I think again, what happens is we have made relationship with Jesus, not about relationship with Jesus, but about do you fit the the cultural mold of the church community you're a part of? Yeah. And also, is it possible that instead of victim blaming women, that we could empower men to have more integrity with their thought life, with how they view women? Gosh, I, I don't um, know how deep we, we can get into this stuff, but I just recently was reading some articles And it was just talking about the female experience of, you know, walking home, walking to your car at night and it being scary Mm -hmm. and, you you know, learning to hold your keys in between your finger or I have a she's birdie alarm on my phone or on my keychain in case I feel like someone's following me or I'm getting attacked or we're constantly taught how to not be assaulted. But how much time are we spending teaching men how to be men of character and honor and integrity. How often are we empowering the men in our lives to be safe people so that women, so that we don't have to walk around scared of, oh, like if I wear this dress, then I was asking for it. Or if I wear this tank top, then I'm not going to get asked to speak at this place anymore because I'm a stumbling block to the men here. Like I just, I feel like what's, and I think, so why is that happening? And I think a huge reason why that's happening is because the female voice has been kept out of decision-making rooms in in the churches and in our culture. Um, And I think we all suffer when when female voices are not taken into account. And so even even so much of this modesty conversation, like when that guy on the podcast last week said that, I was like, how many women were in that room? (laughs) You know, like I'm on the same page as you, Stephanie. I'm like, okay, great. Yoga pants, awesome, love them. Have fifty pairs from Lululemon. Yeah. Um, why don't we talk about character? Yeah. Why aren't we talking about how to know, see, and experience God? Why aren't we talking about how to feed the poor and to rally for social justice? Um, it just, it just is upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so before we go, and we're gonna, we're gonna have to just keep talking about this. Mm-hmm. We mentioned sex and, Mm -hmm. you know, as you're moving to New York and as you're kind of dismantling all the things that you had been taught and like sort of piecing them back together again, where did you land on sex? And I know that I know that's a huge conversation and we can, we'll also link to the other episode we did because we talk about sex a lot. But, you know, I I feel like everyone's going to be wondering that, like, do you feel like that's outdated? Do you feel like a conversation about sex is a waste of time? Never. I think... Sexual desire and desire for sex is one of the most human experiences we all can have. And if anything, I want to normalize talking about sex and remove the taboo and shame. And when we keep conversations about sex and desire and sexuality in the dark, it it only produces more and more shame. And I think we've had about enough of that. So what I found in the scriptures is that God is God created sex. <laughs> God, sex is God's design. Sexual desire is God's design. Pleasure is God's design. God did not have to create pleasure in our bodies, but God did. And it, reading books like Song of Solomon, where you see this incredibly erotic portrayal of a husband and wife experiencing incredible, passionate sex within their marriage was transformative, not to mention the entire book starts with the bride giving informed and enthusiastic consent. Hmm. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Let him sleep in between my breasts. Let him come to my gardens and feast. Well, what do you guys think her garden is? (laughs) (laughs) Um, She is saying what she wants in the bedroom. And again, that would be provocative in a culture where women were 
mostly illiterate, had no cultural rights, who were viewed as objects, uh, objects to be conquered. In the God story, we see a love relationship. We see that sex is the physical manifestation of a mind, body, soul, spirit connection. We see that a woman's pleasure and sexual desire is honored just as much as male pleasure and sexual desire. And so I just felt like my jaw was on the floor constantly when I was reading the Bible. And I saw over and over and over again in the New Testament, an invitation to, um, and I call it an invitation um, because I don't have to do anything I don't want to do, right? None of us do. Like Mm -hmm. Romans 12, one, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The invitation in scripture is to wait until marriage to have sex. And I think what growing up, I wish I would have been given is these incredible stories like Solomon and Solomon's bride, or that the Genesis 2 love story between Adam and Eve would have been really unpacked historically and contextually. Because when you really unpack the historical context of the Adam and Eve love story, I'm like, this is the stuff that movies should be made of. Like, this is incredible. Why have we made it? Why have we flattened? the robust vision for sex and intimacy that God has and just made it about one rule. And yeah, the invitation is there, you know, a flee from sexual activity outside of marriage, like it's there. But if there's ever a rule or invitation in scripture, it's because God has a heart for our good. And that's what I want to know. So I started this whole journey thinking that I would leave being more than okay with casual sex. And I actually ended the journey more conservative than when I started and realizing, wow, when I'm coming from a place of internally motivated and I know my why, I feel connected to God's heart for intimacy. That makes me, that's so different than me feeling like I can't have sex because good Christians don't have sex. And if I have sex, I don't have a seat at the table. And so I shouldn't do this. Those are very different postures. Mm-hmm. One is, not a heart posture. One is maybe I'm following the rule, but my heart is far from it. And the other is now I'm like, I actually feel really excited. Hmm. I is it is really hard not to have sex. I'm 35. I'm in my sexual prime. I my body wants to have babies. But now the conversation is more not like what all can I do or not do? It's I feel so connected to this God vision. How can I set myself up for success? Hmm. So how can I take ownership and responsibility over my sexual integrity and communicate that with consent in my dating relationships? Here are my boundaries. Here are my standards. And this is what this is what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And to me, yeah, I'm making the same decision that I was making 10 years ago to not have sex, but I feel empowered now instead of in bondage. I love that. Again, thinking about talking to a group of girls you know, again, I wasn't given I wasn't given the message that I should wait until I was married to have sex. I think if I if I was to to talk to a group of girls about sex, I would say, not like hear the rules. I would say, this is why it's better. That's what was compelling to me. I don't know how we would have responded if someone had said, like, if someone had compared me to a piece of chewed gum or a house that had been burnt down, which by the way, if that's true, then I'm both. You know, I'm absolutely like, I went into my marriage as a piece of chewed gum. I went into a piece, I went into my marriage as a house that had been burned down or tried to be reconstructed. Like, and yet God doesn't see me that way. Like God never has, like, that's not, none of those things are true. Yeah. The thing that was so compelling to me as someone who was coming at this from the outside was I have something better for you. Mm. And I had experienced sex and, and relationships the way that like everyone else said you were supposed to. I had tried it and I Mm. did it for a long time. Mm. Like that, you know, I I walked that road for a long time. And so when I got that invitation from God to do things differently, it made so much sense to me. And if both of those things were on the table, I wanted what God had because it seemed so much better and got to experience it. You know, I got to live all of my twenties and his way. And I, I I got to, try it out. And he was right. Like he was right. It was Mm. so much better. Um, And so that's the message that I like wish was given more often. It's just, there's just something better for you in this than a casual hookup where you never talk to the guy again and 
it really hurts your heart, but you pretend it doesn't. Yeah, totally. Well, and even I think it's just so important to acknowledge that you can love Jesus and have sex outside of marriage. Like it's, this is not a salvation issue. Hmm. And I think, I think that can feel even scary to say, because it's like, oh, am I giving people a hall pass? No, you do whatever you, whatever feels good for you. No, the reality is I can't control people. Yeah, It's not my job to control people. And I have plenty of friends that are in high leadership positions in Christian culture that they didn't make it to the finish line with their husband or their wife. And they're not, shame doesn't run their story. And so I think in every other area of our life, Stephanie, it feels to me that we give ourselves grace and space to be on a journey. But with sexual purity, it's like one strike, you're out. Yeah. And I just think, man, that's so much pressure. Like, and that also shows me that we are idolizing sex in a way that wasn't meant to be idolized. Does the Bible say not to have sex outside of marriage? Yes. You know what the Bible also says? The Bible also says like not to lust and not to gossip and not to be proud. (laughs) The Bible also says that God cares about our heart and not to be legalistic. And so how can we offer a sexual ethic that does acknowledge and honor the God vision for sex inside a marriage while also not falling into legalism or making it a salvation issue? Oh, Kat, we could talk about this for a million years, and I honestly wish we could. <laughs> Tell people one more time where they can get your book. Yeah, sexlessinthecitybook.com or just anywhere online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle. And then I would love to chat with you. You can slide into my DMs over at The Refined Woman. That's also the name of my website. And my weekly podcast is The Refined Collective. Kat, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You guys, isn't Kat amazing? I love her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. One thing I wanted to mention quickly is I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you want to find the links for any of those things, all you have to do is go to our website. It's girlsnightpodcast.com. And for every episode, we'll have a blog post with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including all of the info about Kat's new book, so you can pick up a copy of your own. Friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls Night. I'll see you then.